You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey, everybody, welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me in Southampton, England, is Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, how are you doing, man? I am good. The days are getting shorter. Yeah, same here. When does the clock change for you? I don't know. Me neither. I know it's different, and then at some point we get confused about recording times. You're always confused about our recording times. That's just kind of your nor your your standard operating procedure. Pretty much. Pretty much. I just wait for my phone to go ping and then I go, Oh, we're recording now. It's okay. Like, I will even I even I will even tell you, Jonathan, we are recording at this time, your time. Yeah. And then I get and then I get a message at seven AM. Hey, are we recording right now? No. <laughs> We're recording at noon my time, five your time. Every single time. It's good. All right. What are we doing this week, Ryan? I don't know. We had some curling happen. I've been out of town. I went to a wedding. Um, oh, yeah. You went, you're like a trader. I saw you like going to a Texas game. Yeah, but I wore, I did not wear Texas stuff to a Texas game. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go, uh, I refused to wear Texas um things but i got my tickets from my friend kevin who works for the university of texas so i couldn't wear uh ou or osu things so i went uh i went neutral third party (laughs) yeah so for our fans who aren't from texas or oklahoma which is like 95 percent of our listeners oklahoma and texas are big college football rivals and so It's bad yeah. for Ryan to go to a Texas game. Yeah, added another stadium to my list. I had never been to a game at Texas because Oklahoma always plays Tech. Oklahoma plays Texas every year in Dallas at a neutral site. So because of that, I've never been to Texas's stadium there in Austin. So went to a game there, got to experience that crowd, and added my 66th college football stadium to my list. So it was good. It was a good time. And uh, Texas lost, so it was great. it's good all right so there has been curling yeah i was able to kind of follow it this is kind of a golden age for us because it's hard if you're not in canada to find curling but actually now everything's streaming so it's really easy if you know where to look (laughs) i just follow all these accounts on twitter and then these random videos pop up Yep, some on YouTube, some not. Some are, you know, <laughs> wide angle lenses at the at at the top of the arena that allow you to see all four sheets. Some <laughs> really. is like a team's smartphone <laughs> against yeah. the board being live streamed on Facebook. Yep. Those are my favorite, actually. I've definitely watched that on. I've watched. Uh, I've watched curling on Instagram before. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a Wild West moment in curling viewing, which I, I kind of like because you you at some point it's going to get get all taken up again, right? 
Well, everything's, I mean, streaming period is fractured. So curling, curling streaming being fractured just mirrors the current state of things uh, in terms of over the top programming. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of wild how things have changed. Um, It's like back in the day, you know, when a new, new network started, like for instance, here, here in the U S especially with like college sports, anytime that a new network for a specific conference, like let's just say the Southeastern conference when it launched or the, the Atlantic coast conference, which Virginia tech is in when it launched, like the onus was going to be on the, the cable provider. Cause I mean, shoot back in, it's like seven, eight years ago, there were over a hundred million cable subscribers. So that was kind of how everything was leveraged was, Hey, we've got a hundred million cable subscribers. And then you get, you basically put the onus on the carrier to carry more and more networks. So when a new network would start in a cable company, wasn't carrying that channel, you know, the, the new network would tell its fans, Hey, you need to call your cable company and tell them if you don't carry this network that I'm going to find a different um, carrier that is, and I'm going to switch. I mean, shoot, I did it. We had, there was, it was back in like 2010, back when hockey was on Outdoor Life Network before it got rebranded to NBC Sports Network, which is now also going away. But back when that happened, they got in a big carriage dispute with DirecTV. So I called DirecTV and I was like, hey, you're in a carriage dispute with Outdoor Life. I'm not going to be able to see hockey. I'm going to switch to a cable provider. I called this cable provider. They said they could be at my house tomorrow and switch me. And I used that I used that to get a free season of NHL Center Ice, which is the the out of market package for for <laughs> hockey. So that was kind of, that was the way it was before and now it's kind of the opposite. Like every single cable provider is every single cable provider has lost viewership. I think we're down to like 60 million cable subscribers in the U S down from a hundred million somewhere, depending on who you read. So now all the different like media conglomerates are starting their own streaming service. So whereas before it was, you know, where you were putting pressure on whoever your cable provider or satellite provider was to give you as much content as possible for the best price possible. Now it's just, you know, you got to pay ESPN, which is ABC um, in Disney. You have to pay Disney $5.99 a month to access the premium content that ESPN has. You got to pay Viacom, which is CBS, which there's is Paramount Plus. You got to pay Paramount Plus four ninety nine a month for the premium content that Paramount has, which is uh, that that's important if you're a sports fan because that is UEFA Champions League, and that's important if you're a parent because that's Paw Patrol. <laughs> so Paramount Plus is one that uh, that you kind of have to have. Um. And then NBC, Universal, Comcast, uh, there's this Peacock, and I think that one's $5.99, although I get, I get that one for free with my internet subscribe, with my internet package, which is cool. Um, so that's, uh, that's Premier League, and that's you know every, every program that NBC, Universal has. Uh, and then you know if you want to get 
your regular channels, your linear ESPN channels, you're looking at spending, you know, $65 a month with YouTube TV or Hulu live or Fubo TV, depending on which, which set of channel packages you like best. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you're pretty much spending just as much, if not more as you were back when you had a regular cable subscription. So Streaming is very fractured. I'm not sure what the end game is there because now the companies are trying to make their money by putting the onus on on the consumer rather than the onus on the cable ch- carrier. It's just, you know, if you if you want this product, you're going to have to pay us $5.99 a month directly rather than, you know, 3 to $5 of your cable bill a month going to one of these based off of the carriage rights fees that they've negotiated with DirecTV or, Com- or Verizon or what have you. So it's kind of changed. And then that's, that's basically how fractured streaming is for curling right now, depending on what event you want to see. You know, it could be on this curling live that's new. It could be on, um, the stuff that Curling Zone and, and Jerry Gertz are doing. It could be on someone else's YouTube TV channel. It could be on, it could be on an individual curling club's YouTube channel or an individual team's YouTube channel. So, extremely fractured. I'm wondering. I don't. I don't. I don't know if, if with curling, it's possible to amalgamate all that or even to make money off of it because you got to have. I think you got to have a lot more together than you currently do to make a product that's worth five ninety nine a month for a curling fan to pay for. Because I mean, that at the end of the day, that's going to have to happen. Right now, you've got various people subsidizing these streams, but if they're not making money, they're not going to last. So you got to find a way to make a product that's worth it that we're eventually going to have to pay for. Like it's it's great right now because all this is free and someone out there is subsidizing it, but it's not sustainable. So you're, you were not in curling when this happened, but early two thousands, Dave Nedowin launched mm-hmm. a very early version of this. I think it was like called curl TV or something. Yep. And it was about five, 10 bucks a month or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and actually, for and actually, the, for the time, the production quality was really high. They actually had announcers cameras on site not and like back then like it's old camera technology it's not like you can just put like really high tech cameras in the ceiling that you can now this is early 2000s cameras and i think i i don't it lasted maybe two seasons and i suspect it just didn't have enough subscribers to cover the cost and that's why it went under but i think curling's actually always been pretty cheap to produce it's not an expensive sport to produce I guess the question is, can you get enough of a fan base through these different streaming mm-hmm. things to to make significant money off it, right? I don't think there's enough. I don't think there's a way to make significant money off broadcasting curling. But the the one thing that I will say from what I've seen is, if if it is going to be a product that you have to pay for, that the production value has to be better in in a lot of cases now in some like it's very good production value like our friends at tesn really good production value what jerry gertz is producing with curling zone very good production value but then you know they had a 
they had a big European slam level event that was held by British curling and they put it on, now I can't remember the name of it, but it was a, it was a random, um, random streaming platform and you got a, the first couple of games free. Uh, and then to watch the rest of the games, you either had to pay an amount that I think it was like the equivalent of $10 us, or you could watch a bunch of ads to earn enough credits to watch them. But all you were getting was an overhead, a behind the glass camera of whatever house they were coming toward. And you didn't have commenters. You just had the players mic'd up and that was not worth paying for me. I was, I wasn't going to, I watched a couple games for free, but I wasn't about to spend any money to watch that. So that was, so in the UK that was actually broadcast on BBC's um, live stream system. The playoffs were. Yeah. Not the, this was during the regular. uh, Yeah, no, no, all of it was. It was like, it's so, it's a bit weird. Like, so here it's a, it's a very different system here. Here you have to pay what's called a TV license fee. So if you own Mm -hmm. a TV set, you basically got to pay an annual tax of about 120 pounds. So like $150. And then all the TVs free. And you you also get access to BBC through this because BBC is paid for by that tax. So it's like Mm -hmm. ad free. And so you get in that and it's like a, it's like a, a streaming service. It includes like all, all of BBC's kind of like radio uh, song catalog and like radio and TV plus films plus everything. So in there, they have a bunch of random sports streams. So like fifth tier English football, yeah. like Scottish football, all that stuff you can get. And so buried in there is curling. Sometimes it's random. The fact, like the fact that British curling started doing this, is I think a positive sign. I agree mm-hmm. the production value has to improve, but I don't know what their plans are, but I find it really interesting. They've started to host events at the national curling Academy, right? Yeah. And they control that venue. And so probably with, with not much more investment in terms of cameras and a bit, and obviously like the, the production stuff you need behind it, mm-hmm. they could basically turn that place into a, a really good place to stream and then they, they, because of British curling, they could obviously get some good talent in to, to call the games, right? Uh, so they might be able to just basically, at, at some point in time, build their own TV and league, for lack of a better purpose. Right, right, you know? And I, that's the other thing that's been a bit weird this year, is there's been fragmentation in all the tours too, right? So uh, World Curling Tour, the number of events being branded as World Curling Tour has dropped. A lot of people have kind of gone and created their own tiers. So it looks like Stu Sells is really building out that brand with six events. You got the Grand mm-hmm. Slams doing their own thing. Uh, and then you have this, this kind of European super series that British Curling was hosting. I, I kind of wonder if that's the future where these national programs run events for their teams and basically invite the other national teams. Certainly in Europe, it's starting to look that way. And then... It's not really, again, it's, it's, it's not to kind of repeat myself. As, <laughs> it's not really clear what happens to the rest of the bond spiel circuit at that point, if there's just almost a closed event for the high performance teams and then not much else going on for any other teams. And then that becomes something that you can sell to Discovery Plus, because unlike over here in the U.S., where Discovery Plus is not there, there is no live sports on Discovery Plus. Although I, th- I, I think there will be soon. Um, right now, it's just if you want to see 
Chip and Joanna Gaines, you get Discovery Plus here in the U.S. In Europe, Discovery Plus does have uh, a okay amount of live sports, in curl- including World Curling Federation events. Yeah, because they're here; they're branded Eurosport. So, and that, and they basically cover all the Olympic sports. So, you're during the Olympics, I had Eurosport, and it was like. You had a channel. It was all the cycling events. You had a channel. It was all the archery events. Athletics was its own channel. So they could Eurosport can run out like ten channels, one for each sport. And I'm sure they'll do the same come the Olympics, the Winter Olympics. Yeah, and they've been they've been folded into Discovery as like Discovery Sports. I think is what they're being rebranded as, and a lot of that is getting moved to the the Plus format, which is Discovery's streaming service. That again, it's like five bucks a month here in the U.S. Hmm. So yeah, I, it's interesting, right? So there's both fragmentation. I, I suspect like, the bigger end, I'm not like a media expert, but just having lived, kind of get to mid age and you kind of see the patterns and in, in industries. And it's like mm-hmm. new technology comes along, things fragment, then they consolidate, right? So for me, probably the nineties with the internet was kind of a, this big disruptive yep. event. And then you saw all this consolidation and now you have like four or five big tech companies, right? Yep. Um, but I don't see... I don't see much consolidating happening in the U.S. to the to the point where you can get all of this under one umbrella again. Because I can't imagine Disney and Viacom being friends and sharing and sharing content for people willing to pay a certain amount a month. I think ESPN is eventually going to be Netflix. Uh, well, I mean, what what I think will happen is. Of those streaming giants, like I don't know which ones will buy which ones out, but like Netflix and Di- to my mind, Netflix and Disney are probably the big two, and they'll probably just go on a buying spree at some point and buy out the smaller ones, right? Yeah, but and then ESPN is under Disney's umbrella. What I think yeah. you're going to see is you're going to see okay if you're into if you're into movies, you know, you're and you know mini movies and miniseries you're going to be a netflix person if you're a live tv if you're well no longer live tv if you're like a serial you know sitcom person you're going to be a hulu person if you're a sports person then it's going to be like you're you're going to subscribe to espn plus which eventually and this is going to be like 10 years from now but eventually you're going to be able to just pay espn 15 bucks a month to have access to all of espn's family of networks as well as the premium content, which right now, like I have an ESPN plus subscription and that gets me, you know, random stuff that people like me are interested in and pretty much no one else. You get lower level college football, you get the India premier league T20 cricket, you get a lot of European soccer you get. And now as of this year, and I was wavering on whether or not to keep ESPN plus, but then this sold it for me is now I get, remember how I told you about the, the NHL, season package that is now included Mm. that is now part of my espn plus subscription so i get to see every single sabers game that isn't on national tv so i get to uh i get to cry three times a week it's gonna be great (laughs) yeah there's an interview i read with uh reed hastings who's like the ceo of uh netflix and they were asking they're looking at getting getting into f1 because of that show and that's that's something really interesting so he, but he, but the way he said it was interesting. He said, because the show does really well, we might, but he was like, if we could, his line was, if we could buy the whole tour. Yeah. Right. And so I, 
I think that's the next thing in streaming sports is a streaming giant goes yes. along and just buys a league of some sort, right? It yep. says, we own this league, and then we produce tons of content around it, yep. and we, we get everything out of it, right? So it's, And it's not just the events. It's all the, the documentaries, all the online stuff, all the social media. They own all of it. And that's really kind of kind of genius and i think that's what a lot I, be, I bet there's a lot of leagues looking at that and that's kind of something that really curling should look at is what sidecar programming can we create that can bring in people who aren't curling fans because i know a lot of people who have never watched a race before um who aren't your typical racing motorsports demographic who watch that show on netflix yeah and it's and a lot of those people who I never thought would have ever watched a motorsport event ever now tell me, Hey, did you see the F1 race, uh, yesterday morning? And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you're watching, you're, you're getting, you're getting up in the morning to watch F1 now. It's kind of, it's really crazy. And like, that's, that's kind of be kind of the way that, that leagues in sports that aren't big that don't have major followings in the u.s that's going to be the way that they're going to be able to build is you 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 get this sidecar programming that really shows you the personalities of the people involved in the sport you get buy-in from people who wouldn't necessarily like your sport and then you that gets them to to then watch you know the the league um or in this or in f1's case the race and then you know, maybe in the case of a sport like curling, maybe they come out and try it. Like no one, yeah, you can watch the F1 documentary. You can watch the races um, every every morning, but you're not going to be able to get in an F1 car. And I think that's something that curling has that maybe F1 doesn't have is you could very easily get on the ice and try what you're seeing on, yeah. on TV. I mean, the the one example of this already happening is like 10 years old, right? It's, it's Poker. Sportsnet buying the slams. Oh, right. And that's ba basically Sportsnet owns that property yeah. and they run those events because they yep. wanted basically Canadian, Canadian sports content on their, on their different platforms. Right. So I was going to say poker. Cause that's what, I mean, that's basically what ESPN did when I got in college in 2002, 2003, you know, we watch, we watched it obsessively. We, played it in our dorm and we, and like I had a couple of friends who actually went to Vegas and played in an event because we got that hooked on, on the, on back when the world series of poker first started airing on ESPN. And a lot of that was, they made it a documentary because this was back in the day where it was a little bit harder to get spoiled on results. So they made it quasi documentary and you they would introduce you to these players and you'd get invested in these players as you're watching them win and lose thousands and thousands of dollars and mm. you you that's how you get that's how people got invested in watching that was they made it about personality yeah so i, I guess the question is does does a big media giant in the u.s basically say curling's cheap we're going to create our own league let's hope because <laughs> right? Like like I said, NBC Sportsnet is going away, so we got to find some place to put Curling Night in America on. The easy answer is Peacock, but again, that's going to put the onus on curling fans. You now have to find Peacock and pay five bucks a month to get it. Now, a lot of people will already have access to it, like if they're a Comcast customer or if they have a certain internet service provider, but the onus is going to be on curling fans to find Peacock and play and pay for it. And then remember when a, when an event is on and go and watch the stream. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of wonder something like, because the Indian Premier League and cricket, it's kind of, it's this weird, it's a league that happens in like a month and like players from all the world and show up and just get play and get drafted, right? Mm-hmm. Like curling could do that maybe during one of his dead zones where basically all the slam mm-hmm. players sign up for like a month contract and then you have teams in cities. Like this. Like, you know, you have a New York team, an LA team, whatever. And they get drafted and you just get your, play, you know, so everyone gets scrambled up who they play with and they just go play head to head in a league format. Yeah. Cause shoot, like the biggest, um, like the, the, the most watched show, I think in India most years is the draft <laughs> where they're, where they're <laughs> literally, where they're literally bidding for players. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, the, when the, the times they've done a draft for the uh, TSN Skins game, or maybe it was the, I can't remember, mm-hmm. it was one of the Skins games. Again, it's about a decade ago now, but I thought okay. that was great, right? Yeah, I did too. I did too, where they mixed up the teams. I think that was an event, that was like a preseason event that they ran in August in like Summerside, I want to say, is what they did. There was a Skins game also, and I remember, it's, it's a while ago, because Jeff Stoughton had the first pick and he overall, and he picked Ben Hebert. And it was mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting. They they asked them why, and he's like, "It's like there's all every third here is good. Ben Hebert's the best sweeper. Like I'm like that yeah. that positions the value, right? That smart play, yep. right? But yep. um, and so I, I think if you had something like that, that would be interesting. Yep. Yeah, I remember that that happened. Obviously, I didn't get to see it because it was on. Um, it wasn't on here in the U.S. That would have been interesting to see. Let's do it. Yeah, do it again and put it on Peacock so I can actually watch it. <laughs> or again, like again, like I said, they're going to have options because in the, with the U.S., as long as the word Olympics isn't tied to the event, they can sell it. It doesn't necessarily have to go to NBC. The only thing that has to go to NBC as a part of the Olympic contract is something that has the word Olympics tied to it. So the, the, the Olympic trials is really the only thing that NBC has that they can't negotiate on. Yeah. So yeah, it could be could be anything. You could you could wind up watching USA curling on Peacock or Discovery Plus or ESPN Plus. Who knows? But hopefully, hopefully they find a home for it outside of um, so that we can watch um, watch things like Curling Night in America again. Dude, enjoy this moment because it's free. It's like ninety percent free, <laughs> and it's amazing. Oh, yeah, for curling, yes. yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, great. Maybe we'll get to a point where it's all high production values and great announcers and all that fine fantastic but, but you're gonna pay for it <laughs> you're, gonna, a, you're gonna pay for it and I'm, i actually find it more amazing that you can just watch random games anywhere in the world right now with good teams for free yep. on your smartphone it's like yep. this is an amazing era enjoy it because eventually you're gonna probably have to pay mark zuckerberg 20 bucks a month just to watch <laughs> watch your curling well, like, games like Team Cooey, I'm sure they started that you know they started doing this last year when they started streaming their games on their Facebook channel, and I'm sure at the time it was to provide um, provide exposure for their sponsors to be able to show delivery for their sponsors. Maybe what they should have done was just charge a dollar ninety nine per game. Maybe I don't know. I got a I got an idea from a different. So I think they should create. Uh, you know, Top Shot. Oh God! Who should just film, film whatever his shots are, turn them into NFT tokens, and be like, "If you want to see my quad, I own that. There's ten of them. I'll auction them off." 
So for our listeners, an NFT <laughs> is a non-fungible token. We are 30 minutes into this show. If I were to explain non-fungible tokens to you, we would be at an hour and a half, and then we would get into the other curling thing. So we'll just hit pause here and Google non-fungible token. <laughs> and after your brain melts, we'll see you back here at this episode. Yeah, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But I, I just think that I think we're in a weird moment overall, right? Where it's oh, yeah. there's lots of I think the, the conventional way of a team supporting itself, the conventional way of watching curling's gone. And whoever figures out the next way to make it work is gonna do very well. At the very least, can we put um the slams on a pay-per-view package in the US that actually has a usable user experience. That's all I ask for now. <laughs> I just feel bad for Ryan right now. <laughs> Don't. This is definitely first world problems. And as, as I I mean, it was our previous episode that I said, I don't care about the slams, but this is also one of the reasons that I don't care about the slams. Which problem solves the other? Well, it's a weird thing. Like it, the slams grew up as a Canadian only event. It's now majority international. And while a lot of the teams are there, A, because they want the points and the money, obviously, but B, it's hard for them to build a global fan base, right? If, mm -hmm. if you can't watch the slams easily in Scotland or Switzerland or Japan or wherever the teams are from, right? That, that they're actually performing really well on the top, the top event in terms of strength of field on the planet, and they can't get any exposure back home. And that's, that's a weird thing in 2021 when you can see anything anywhere, anytime. It's easy to do with... Um with TSN broadcasts because they're already, I mean, they're, I think, partially owned by ESPN. And that's why you see the TSN broadcasts also shown on ESPN3, which is not ESPN+. Plus. It's a completely different thing. Um, that's why you see those games on ESPN3. But I don't think Sportsnet has a partnership with a, a U.S. broadcasting company, do they? Because it'd be, like, if they could... If they could cut a deal with Discovery Plus to put the slams on Discovery Plus, that'd be easy, and that would actually get me to buy Discovery Plus, which I don't currently because I don't watch Chip and Joanna Gaines, um, so I don't have Discovery Plus. But if they had, if they had the slams, I might pay five ninety nine a month to watch that. All right. <laughs> um, should we talk actual curling as opposed to venting about? <laughs> I don't know. I like this. I like that. I mean, these are these are two things that I'm passionate about: curling and finding ways to watch obscure sports on television. I mean, I think that that makes sense, right? Because curling's thing is it's like what they call a long tail, right? It, there's not many people that are going to watch it, but there's yeah. enough of them probably. If someone figures out the model to to get the thousand or two thousand eyeballs on a on a on a game that that actually makes it perhaps worth something right and then you make your money off volume yep again that's a that's that's what they're currently trying to figure out with um with a lot of these with with a lot of the um the obscure sports that yes i mean espn's trying to do it with volume by saying okay we want 
And honestly, that's why uh, ESPN just bought the NHL rights is those were eyeballs that they want back on ESPN. You know, how much overlap is there between a hockey fan in the United States and say college football and college basketball? They probably figured out that there's enough not overlap that it's worth paying those rights fees to get hockey viewers watching ESPN again. Yeah. Probably not enough in curling though. No, but those are those are also like All right, curling. Real curling. <laughs> uh there were no upsets at the pre-Olympic qualifier. We called it. We called all of them, Ryan. Well, we didn't really make predictions, but we kind of gave. <laughs> we basically listed off the teams that we thought might do well and those were the ones that that went on. Your qualifiers for the pre-OQE in mixed doubles, Latvia, Denmark, and Turkey. On the women's side, Latvia and Turkey. And on the men's side, Finland and the Czech Republic. No real upsets except for eh, maybe Norway not making it out on the women's side. But I think Turkey and Latvia were the two strongest teams going into that tournament. Yeah, and now I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for the OQE, and those fields are going to be deep. Yeah, those are deep fields. That's going to be that's uh, going to be a good event to watch. I do want to give a shout out to the Portuguese mixed doubles team. It was the first time Portugal was in an international event, and Steve Shashero and April Gale Shashero uh, went three and four and made the playoffs. Um, so not bad for your first international event. And then uh, on the men's side, uh, again, debutantes, Kyrgyzstan goes three and two in their first international event. So not bad. Yeah. Not bad. I saw, a f- I didn't get this. St- get- was this streamed? I didn't see any live game stuff. I think it was, I- it was streamed, but it was basically you had a series of very wide angle cameras that allowed you to see all the sheets at the same time with no, with background music that you couldn't mute. So it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> as we said, it was not the best quality. You know, I wish it would have been great if the World Curling Federation had sent some of its cameras to this. I know that really the World Curling Federation isn't going to broadcast any games unless a rights holder wants to air those. And I don't know if they made an effort to see if Turkish television wanted to air these since all the Turkish teams were probably going to do pretty good. But I mean, the the World Curling Federation does... Um, do a good job of putting more into these broadcasts than maybe they should. I think if you go back to the last normal year for broadcasting for the WCF, which was all the way in 2018, 2019 was not normal because you had the World Cup and then you had two COVID years. So if you go back to the last normal year, which was 2018, the the WCF, I think, took in like $150,000 in rights fees and spent uh, like $280,000 in media expenses. Yeah, you do have to give that to the WCF, but it would have been good to have these games broadcast because a lot of these countries have never been on a live stream. And it would have been, it would have been good for those countries. It would have been good for those players and their families and 
you know, all of these smaller, smaller teams that are trying to go out and get sponsorship to be able to have something to where they could say, Hey, this, uh, this is going to be live streamed. So, but, uh, it would have, it would have cost a pretty penny, I'm sure. And they wouldn't have gotten much back in return for it. I, yeah, I think, well, I think the WCF say worlds or Europeans live stream, that's too expensive, but they could probably do somewhere in between the, the giant bubble cam and that. Yeah, right? probably. I would hope so. I saw, <laughs> it would have so been nice. But here's what's nice about this moment. So I got, we're like, you know, we've had Harold Woods, who is the skip of Team Nigeria in the men's event on the show. And I follow him on social media. And he posted a couple of videos. He posted, like, he posted mm-hmm. a lot of stuff from the event. Yep. Yeah, it was uh, awesome. Go back and follow Harold or follow the Nigeria Curling Federation on Instagram to see a bunch of those videos. That was actually really fun to see. And he, I mean, he posted a video of a really good shot. Like basically, he he had to draw the the other team. I think he was playing Austria. Had their stone buried behind um, corner guard. He basically had to come around the corner guard pretty tight and corner freeze on it to set up a force. So it was it was nice to see like a highlight there. And uh, it was a pressure shot, nice one to make. And it was kind of nice to see that. Not all highlight shots have to be quads. I like. Uh, yeah. I'm a fan of a, a very well-placed and well-timed draw personally. So <laughs> I think we should honor those two. Um, so, and it, it's like, it's nice, right? I thought the event was good. It's good to see a lot of these teams that we've been kind of following during the pandemic and a bit before you can definitely see these countries, even if they're not qualifying for the Olympics, they're putting the work in and the quality of play is starting to go up for sure. Yeah, Definitely. Next, British curling. Okay, they announced uh, they announced the men's team and the mixed doubles team, neither of which were a surprise. Yeah, I I mean I could see a similar phenomenon happening here with with Bruce Mullet this year this year in terms of if he has a breakout year and, and post similar results at the Olympics as he has at the last Worlds and double medals. Um, that could be because Britain doesn't have many medal hopefuls. You, mm-hmm. you could see him and those teams kind of becoming the celebrities of the Olympics in the UK. So no pressure, but <laughs> it'd be nice That'd to be see. Awesome. And, and the the kind of start of the season Team Muitz put on on tour is they're gonna they're gonna if they didn't win the Olympics they're gonna decide who does if if that makes sense. Someone the winner's gonna have to go through them for sure. And I. Uh, I'd almost say that currently they're the best team in the world. Now, that's there's a lot of time between now and February, but I would say right now they might be like if, if you were doing a power ranking like uh like a like our friends at Time Twine, if you're doing a power my power ranking might have team Mowit Mowit um number 1. Yeah, I agree. I think so the, the other thing is there's no word yet on team Mirhead and so unless mm-hmm. So I, I think maybe for our listeners, just a little bit of a background here. So British Curling announced after the Worlds that they were going to go to a squad system this year. So they mm-hmm. had eight women, and they've been rotating the lineups through all the events they've played from August until now. Uh, I would be stunned if, t- if Eve Muirhead's not the skip, but I think the question is who are the other three people? And that's, I think, pretty much in flux. So as of this recording, the, the announcement isn't out yet. Podcasters, luck as soon as we stop recording, a uh, uh, announcement will probably drop. But um, 
that that team will then go to the Euros and the Olympic qualification event to try and snag snag the Team GB spot on the women's side. Do you think they would ever announce a team for Euros and then not announce a team for the Olympic qualification event? Because the, the Euros are a little over a month away. The, the Euros will start in, I think, 32 days. We are recording this on October 19th. I think you've got 32 days till the Euros and 47 days until the Olympic qualification event. Would you... Would they announce one team and then wait on the Olympic qualifier team? So they, I mean, at least I've just been following the British curling social media and their their news releases. And so their stated plan all along was to use that August till now. So basically the first three, Mm -hmm. two and a half months of the season as a, as a trial. And then the coaches and the selectors will then decide what the team is. And then you, that team will then play together in the kind of run-in events like the slams and the, the Euros and then go. They might tweak it a bit, but I, I, I suspect the extent of the tweaking might be they'll announce a five-person team and then they may tweak the lineup from there. Do you think there's a pretty good idea in camp of who the team is going to be? I know we keep seeing the lineups between... Great Britain Blue and Great Britain Red, they keep getting mixed up. Do you think that within the group of 10 that they have a pretty good idea of the team that's going to Euros in the OQE? I don't, because I I think... like The thing that's interesting is that I'd say Rebecca Morrison's probably had a strong season both at Skip and on the teams when she's played with with Eve, right? And that's mm. that's... Like, like I'm not following the I'm not following the depths of the, the British curling program all that closely, but that's that's a name of someone who I wouldn't have thought would had been on the. If you told me 18 months ago she'd be on the Olympic team, uh, I would have said probably not. But looking at if you're just going off the results, I'd be like, well, why is she not on the team now? But she may not be selected. You know, I don't know. I've made no insight there. But I think. Basically, what I'm trying to say is the results of scrambling the team lineup is that some of the other people who've been kind of on the periphery of the squad have actually performed very well and at least have made the the process complicated. It's not obvious to me who they'd go with. Whereas Dodds Mowat, obvious that the world champs, Team Mowat, obvious the world silver medalists, Ross White is the fifth, is obvious. By the way, shout out to Game of Stones. Ross White's going to the Olympics. Uh, <laughs> Well, <laughs> not bad I mean, it, called junior qualified junior makes, a little while ago but and it makes sense because there's a decent shot that he is the skip of team great britain in 2026 so it makes sense to have him at this event he's de- his team is definitely the team there well they already are probably the second strongest in in britain but his team's the one they've been targeting is let's have this team He's basically, in their mind, his team is where Team Muet was in 2018. Yeah. Right? Where they hadn't gone to a Worlds yet. Uh, we're just about to break out and then kind of ripped off a whole bunch of performance. Everyone now knows who they are, right? He's it's just Team Team Muet's really, really good. Do you, ever get a, do you ever get the situation where maybe a couple of guys, uh, like let's say uh, Great Britain goes out and wins gold or silver? at Beijing, do you think that there's a, there could be a situation where maybe 
a couple of guys on Bruce's team decide to step back from curling and you see Ross and someone else from his team join that team? I Yeah, so I look, I think that the pathway forward for British curling is they will probably always try to have 12 to 14 players on the program in each gender and then it's going to be plug and play. And I think that's just that's that's basically the direction of travel. Um, and that, and that's been that's basically been how the programs worked for ages. So you don't apply as a team to British curling. Every year they put out a call and you can go to the website and put in an application form and you're applying for a job. And they make it clear that it's a job. So I, I mean I if I wanted to I could apply for that. I don't think I'd have a hope in hell of <laughs> getting selected, but I'm certainly eligible to apply and, you know, send in a, send in a statement of why, why I think I'd be a good Olympic curler. There's a whole trial process. And then you're basically, it's a job. If you get selected, it's your job. You get a salary. You're expected to be at the national curling Academy five days a week. Um, you're, you're doing fitness training. You're working and working with like a professional trainer, lifting weights. You're kind of doing off ice stuff with sports psychologists and coaches. And then you're, you're practicing every day. You're put through a program and then you're kind of, you know, run through that program and you're basically 11 months of the year curling. Right. And, and the coaches then select the teams and they form the teams for that year and they, they reserve the right to, to change the lineups. It's almost like Soren Gran is still running that program. I mean, I, I know for most curlers, this is unpopular, but Every other professional sport in the world operates this way, right? Like, like I don't. I I'm a traditionalist. I like the old amateur game. I like the the myth of me signing up every year, you know, foolishly believing I have a chance to win, entering playdowns, and then ending the season heartbroken. But um, and that, that's what curling is to me. But I accept the fact that if the game's going to become professional, it's probably going to have to be run professionally. And probably in most countries except for Canada, um, that's just how it is. That's how it's been in Sweden for ages too, right? There you get selected out very early through their kind of high school program to a national curling academy when you're a teenager, right? So you can still curl and do other things, but if you're not on that pathway, um, you're not going anywhere, right? So, I mean, to answer your initial question, the players on Ross White's team will be in that program next cycle for sure, right? They're all like early 20s. Um, there's some other juniors that are kind of coming up. So there's like the James Craig team has had a very good season on the junior tour. And so I wouldn't be surprised if a few players off that team are kind of in the national performance program in a little while. Um, so yeah, so you can see, you, you can basically see their thing. They're running it like any kind of professional sports thing where they, they basically... They grab a bunch of people coming out of youth sports, pick the best, try them out for a few years. If they stick, they get to kind of be on the main team. If they don't, they get cast aside and that's it. And that's how any professional sports franchise in the world runs, right? What else you got for me? Oh, I like, all right. I like the Canadian pre-trials. I think it's super interesting. I'm hoping it's going to be streamed and not on TSN. It's going to be on TSN. Uh, all right, I'll figure a workaround. So um, the playoffs, the playoffs are on TSN uh, starting the thirtieth of October. So I assume that will also be available on ESPN three streaming. Um, at least 
in the past, that's usually been the case. Anything on TSN, anything curling on TSN is usually streamed on ESPN3 as well. But we usually don't find that out until like hours beforehand. Yeah. So I, all right. So I find it really interesting. So first assumption would be the teams that lost in the direct entry event. And I, I maybe I dropped down probably isn't the right term, but they basically, as not qualifying directly, end up in this event. The assumption would be that they'd be the favorites to go through. On the men's side, maybe, because that's Howard, Flash, and Gunner. So mm-hmm. they're, they're strong if you kind of go off, off kind of order of merit points. Um, but there's still some other interesting teams in the field, right? So Pat Simmons making a return. Jonathan Buke taking on the old McDonald team. Uh, Braden Calvert, who was junior basically of the same era as um dunstone and kind of him and him and dunstone kind of traded junior championships for a while so mid-20s yep. you know a, a team who who may kind of start punching through tyler tardy jeremy hardy karsten sturme that group there if you're kind of a curling diehard those teams will probably be the the emerging teams in the briar and the slams in the next quad so I think it's like worth watching just for next gen or whatever you want to call that. Then you've got then, some classic teams. You got yeah. Mike Fournier's swan song. So Mike has said that if he doesn't win this, he's uh, he's retiring. Uh, I hope he I hope he qualifies the Olympic trials. That'd be fantastic. But this is a tough event, so we'll see. Uh, Sean Grassy, Sean Grassy, yeah, who we played in. Da- you were you with you when we played him in Dallas and. Yeah, that was that. In, that did not end well. That <laughs> was not a fun result. No, uh, <laughs> we we had won our first two games of that spiel. We thought we were hot stuff, and I think <laughs> I think Sean came out in like some in his Safeway Championships jacket, and you just turned to me and said, "We are going to lose." <laughs> I just I just like third end. He's like, uh, "There's like a crosshouse double." The, the, the only end we got anything going, and he's just like, "Ah, oh, it's pretty easy." Bang bang. That was like our one. <laughs> Yeah. one chance to score so, so really that's, that's anyway. any any of you out there who say oh yeah but if i ever got a chance to play one of these pros on arena ice i'd have a chance uh jonathan and i did that and we didn't no yeah <laughs> all right so I, that that's got a lot of interesting games i think so i hope there's a bit of live stream maybe in the round robin or whatever the, the is it round robin or triple knock it's there's no way that this is round robin it's got to be triple knock it's got to be triple knock yeah that's fun too. I always like a triple knock. All right. And then we got women's side. I think this is an interesting event, Ryan, because Susan Burt and Corin Brown did not advance in the direct entry event. They're both good teams, perennial Scotty's teams, certainly. But the, if you look at the rest of the field, there's a lot of good tour teams and Scotty, Scotty's teams there too. I think this field is pretty equal right so here the pre-trials winner the pre-trials winners were um carrie galusha and jill brothers i think carrie galusha's got has had a pretty good season on tour <laughs> they yeah, could definitely do some damage here holly duncan they've the team holly duncan's had a pretty good run on tour also kind of doing well winning a couple of events and if not winning then also making some finals too krista mccarville Always dangerous. Sherry Anderson, always dangerous. Darcy Robertson, always dangerous. And then you've got a couple of, again, up-and-comers, Mackenzie Zacharias, Beth Peterson, and Justin Murphy. 
Peterson and Zacharias are, again, they're going to be teams in the next quad that are going to be constantly qualifying for slams and Scotties. So teams to watch out for here, too. So that's, that's why I find these events interesting. Have you looked at Manitoba? I wouldn't say that anybody's going to be constantly qualifying for the Scotties out of Manitoba. I said slams and Scotties, right? Whatever. <laughs> Ryan's hatred of slams is... <laughs> also, given the way curling is now, how do we know that Team Peterson isn't going to be playing out of uh, the territories or PEI next time around? Team with Susan Bird or something, right? They could. Yeah, that'll be that'll be the next big story after the Olympics is how how the how the new rules shape the lineup shuffles for the next quad. I, I think the the fields are interesting because they're so even. So I think they're going to be fun as hell. Yep, I think it's good. Other big event coming up. So before the Olympics, they always run test events at the different venues. Mm-hmm. Those were didn't happen. So one of them was supposed to be the World Juniors last year, which was canceled because yep. of the pandemic. So they are currently running the World Wheelchair Championship as the test event for the Olympics at the Ice Cube in Beijing. So for people who don't know this, the Ice Cube was the water cube back in 2008. So they've repurposed the venue, which is amazing. It's a gorgeous building. They've repurposed it for curling. So curling's getting one of the signature buildings at the Olympics for sure this time. Uh, the World Wheelchair event is there. And this is also going to be the final qualification event for the Paralympics. Mm-hmm. And you got to be in the top 12 to make the Olympics because well, Ch- China is going to be among the top 12, but they have an automatic berth. There are going to be 12 teams there. So really looking at the Paralympic qualification standings points, really it's the top 12 because it's going to include China in that top 12. So you got to be top 12 currently kind of your, your team's kind of fighting it out at the bottom. You have a bunch of teams sitting on 10 Olympic qualification points for the Paralympics. Then you have Estonia in 11th place with eight qualification points. Then in that 12th spot, that last spot, you have the United States with only two Paralympic qualification points. The U.S. is in 12th. The only team that could jump them would be Italy, who has currently zero Paralympic qualification points. So for the U.S. to get in, they are guaranteed to get in if they finish eighth, which would give them more Paralympic qualification points than Estonia, which is not currently, which is not in this tournament, or they have to finish above Italy. If they do either of those two things, the U.S. is in the Paralympics, finish eighth, or finish above Italy. So that'll be interesting. Yep. And then like, if you wind up, if you, if the U S or Italy wind up at the, toward the top of the standings, then things might get interesting for those teams that are in eighth, ninth and 10th position with 10 uh, Paralympic qualification points. Cause if one of them in those three teams are, Sweden, Latvia, and Switzerland, if one of them wind up at the bottom and the U.S. and or Italy wind up at the top of the standings, then things could get weird for them. But really, it's going to come down to does the U.S. finish above Italy or 
with enough points to jump Estonia. That's that's basically where the the intrigue is going to be for qualifying for the Paralympics. So good yeah. luck, good luck to Team USA and our friend Oyuna Aranchimeg. We did a, a an episode where we interviewed her and and heard her amazing story. Uh, please go listen to it uh, to get yourself ready for for the World Wheelchair Championships coming up here in Beijing. Yeah. So my last item that I found interesting over the last two weeks is USA Curling released a transgender participation policy and guidance. So first thing to note, it's participation policy and guidance. It's primarily directed at the non-high-performance stuff. I don't want to read the whole policy out. It's not super long, but... um, you can just go to their webpage. They have a press release and they have like a longer document that explains what they did. But but the process... So, okay, a couple of things. This is going to become... Well, it already is, right? Questions about gender identity are, are a flashpoint um, in society right now, especially around sports. We saw it around the, the Olympic weightlifting um, in the, the Summer Olympics. Uh, and there's also been a kind of a lot of policy documents about this. There's been a policy in place with the IOC uh, around gender identity and then sex reassignment. Um, I don't want to get into kind of explaining all the terms. We could spend a whole episode on this. Maybe we should spend an episode on this at some point. It's actually an interesting topic, but I I want, we would, we would definitely need to have a guest on who knows a lot more about this than me. Cause I know that I'm way out of my depth on this. Yeah. So I think the key points are this is first of all, the way USA curling went about this was good. They had the LGBTQ plus subcommittee, which mm-hmm. is part of the D- diversity, equity, and inclusion committee, who and had people who identified as members of the community and allies and advocates of the community talking together and bringing their perspectives onto the sport of curling. So that's the first thing. And that, that's what I think matters the most is if you want me to talk about my day job, there's a, a principle in political theory called the all affected principle that if people are affected by a rule or policy, they should have some input into how that policy is drafted. And that's what we call democracy. So that's good. Um, I think the gist of it is, is that USA's curling's policy is that people, essentially if a person identifies as a given gender, the, the USA curling will respect that identity. And they also expect the different clubs and competitions hosting the event to expect to respect the identity or the, the non-binary gender identity. They're not going to require any testing of any sort to verify gender identity or non-gender identity status. And at, the only place where this really might come into play with testing and investigation is at the Olympic or WCF level, at the international level, where there are rules in play that USA curling can't impact at this point in time. Um, they have a full policy and kind of guidance stuff that's kind of worth looking at. But I think I think that the gist of it's this, is that um, more people are... I, I'm not sure the term coming out is, is correct. And so if there's a listener who wants to kind of correct me on this about when people transition to a new identity, please just drop us a message. But more people in society are either identifying as non-binary, which means they, they don't want to be identified either as male or female, but want a different designation, or they are identifying as a gender different than the sex that they were born with or sex they were assigned at birth is I believe the, the correct technical term. And so this, this is basically going to be a, th- uh, 
a phenomenon that curling clubs are going to have to respond to. And so the basic USA curling policy is we should simply respect the identity that a person declares. The one interesting wrinkle that I found in this is that a person declares their gender identity when they sign up for a USA curling event, and that then becomes their gender identity for the season. So if they want to enter in um, the women's competition, identify as women, that's their gender for the season. And so the, the USA curling will take as their gender identity for competitive purposes, whatever gender sport they kind of sign up for first. Hmm. Is that clear? Mostly. <laughs> Mostly. What's what's the least clear thing I said today? Was it the NFTs or is it discussing the USA curling gender tall gender policy? Oh, NFTs. <laughs> All right. Good. I've, I've no, probably lost half no, our listeners. No. no anyway. Gosh, one hundred percent NFTs. Yeah. Uh, no, I think the, the key word that you said, Jonathan, and the key word in the policy that USA curling put out, the key word is respect. You know, we're, we're respect, respecting other people's backgrounds, we're respecting other people's choices, we're respecting other people's identities. And really, I mean, choice is a bad word. That's actually one that I, does that, that, that's actually one that I'm working to get out of my vocabulary as we talk about these is it's really, it's not, it's, it's not a choice. It's who this person is. Yeah. I think the key, the key here is in the DEI is the inclusion part, right? That mm-hmm. we want a policy the, the big thing behind DEI, if we, you can go back and listen to our episode with the group from the Global Initiative for DEI and Curling, because um, there's a lot of fantastic discussion there. But I think the I really matters is that if we want our curling clubs to be inclusive, and so having a policy that's, I guess, gender affirming, maybe the, I'm not sure again if that's the correct term, but one that allows people to, to play the sport with the gender identity they have. Uh, is one way to make the sport inclusive, right? To not impose on people and say, either A, say we don't want people from that background or try to impose on someone a gender identity they do not feel comfortable having. That's the that's the gist of it, I'd say. I love ending on a positive note. I did a lot of complaining on this episode, so I'm glad we're ending on some positivity. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's. I mean, to get, I think this, I think our streaming moment's great, right? I think you should enjoy it because, <laughs> like I said, eventually it's going to consolidate, and then you're going to have to pay a lot of money to some big mega corporate mega curling corporation just to watch all your curling. Whereas right now, you can see most of it for free. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show. We ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.